drama surgeon and family man, Paul Kersey, life is shattered when thieves break into his house, kill his wife, and send his daughter to the hospital. Frustrated with law enforcement, he seeks vengeance and takes the law into his own hand. Hello, everyone. I'm Caleb Bouget. I'm Connor Izagari. And welcome to a new episode of Beyond the Bed. Today, we're talking not about the original film, but the 2018 remake of the revenge action thriller, Death Wish, uh, a film that actually spent quite a while in various stages of development, which I will get to in our segment, Development Hell, um, for well over a decade before Eli Roth finally came on board to essentially direct and bring the film to completion. So say what he wrote about Roth, all this film, he fucking brought it to uh, the goalpost. He brought, he got, got it all the way through finally. Um, but unfortunately, or fortunately, if you really hate this film, he did that just for it to bomb horrifically at the box office and be reviled by critics, which means that now I'm going to show it to my partner here, Connor, to both talk about the scores and any any thoughts he has he wants that at this point. Sure. As you might know by now, the way we pick the films that go on this show are the Rotten Tomato scores. Anything below 60% is considered a Rotten Tomato is eligible. And then from there, it's just best judgment. The Death Wish remake certainly belongs here. Um, 18% on Rotten Tomatoes. Critics consensus reads, Death Wish is little more than a rote retelling that lacks the grit and conviction of the original and also suffers from spectacularly bad timing. And uh, I'm sure you'll get into, do you have anything on what happened when this film was supposed to come out? Yes. So on the development, I'll go into um, obviously like the names, how long this took. I do would have a brief mention on like what happened around the time it got released, especially with its first delay. Yeah. and that and how I do think some of the negativity is stemming from reward issues at the time. I agree, because the audience score on this is 71%. Uh, it's a big leap from 18% to 71%. So somewhat there's a disconnect here. Uh, it did only make $49 million on a $30 million budget, so way to go. And really 71% audience score, you, you liked it, but then didn't go see it in the theater. <laughs> Sure, all those people like the idea. You know what? I might see that. I think there was a lot of that. <laughs> it looks like Bruce Willis is trying for once. I might see that. Yep. Then they got 20 minutes in and were like, oh, no. I wonder what's playing next door. And they walked out. Actually, I would argue that Bruce Willis is not nearly as bad in this as he is in other films. I would argue the opposite, but we'll get to that. Um, I'm not saying he's good. Do not quote me here. I'm just saying, like, I've seen some of his real shit. Like, he's just their paycheck gigs. Yes. And um, this is better than a lot of that it's performance rise. I was able to watch the original 1974 Death Wish uh, before I watched this one because I like, you know, if I'm going to watch a remake, I want to know, like, why is this bad? How does it compare? And frankly, I didn't really get the buzz about Death Wish OG. I thought Charles Bronson was wooden as fuck. He's a great, you know, if you wanted to point a gun, awesome. 
you want him to act dramatic about his family, you got the wrong guy. <laughs> and somehow there's five Death Wish movies. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. Uh, the plot's pretty basic. Uh, he just straight up ignores the fuckers who killed his family. Just like, not my problem. I got other people to worry about. It's, if there was a movie, like, it, kind of, it deserved a remake. It deserved a bit of a reimagining. I wanted to see what somebody else could do with that. And frankly, Eli Roth could have done worse. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, and that's kind of like, I guess, my soapbox moment here. Um, and really, I'll just like, I'll probably listen to like uh, the question I had for you, which is like, you know, your thoughts on the works of Eli Roth and like what he brings to this film. So we're going to just kind of parlay score with that question as well. Um, I, as you know, I'm like, I'm a real big fan of Roth, especially his first three films when he was kind of bursting onto the horror scene with Cabin Fever, Hostel 1 and 2, and really doing his thing. And I always kind of talk about him and Rob Zion in the same line that like they had these really big hits when they came out. And then it seems like they had all sorts of issues after that. Um, whereas Rob's army, I think, is genuinely just bad luck and some backlash following his 2007 Halloween and then Halloween 2. Um, Roth, I do think, is a bit of a vanity guy in his way when he started to become buddy buddies with Quentin Tarantino. Um, I think a little ego got in the way there. But, you know, he's been making a real attempt at trying to do more mainstream stuff. I mean, obviously, this film that we're talking about, before he did The House with a Clock in His Walls, the uh, the more family-oriented horror film he made. And, you know, the big one he's, that's supposed to be coming out this year, supposedly, is his Borderlands adaptation of the video game. And that's what he's been working on. So he's been really trying to do something, you know, quote-unquote, more mainstream, kind of outside the wheelhouse. And I think he kind of, like, I don't know if it's the projects or what, but he kind of... Hasn't had that luck yet. Um, House of Clock in His Walls, I know people that like it. I don't mind it. I think it's a fine, fun little movie. But like this one in particular, you know, like I said, I gave him a lot of credit for finishing this film. Um, but a lot of people apparently just went, fuck this movie. And like I said, 71% scoring on Rotten Tomatoes, but it bombed at the box office. So where were you people that liked it so much? You just waited for home video? or? If you liked it enough and you wanted to see another one of these films, you know, sequel this, you're not getting it now. I don't think the fuck these fuck this movie people threw this under the bus because of Eli Roth. I think they threw it under the bus because of Bruce Willis. Because he hasn't been a box office draw since like the late 90s. Uh, well, as I said, Hard was a big hit. That was 2000s. What now? Live Free or Die Hard was a big hit, and that was 2000s. Yep, yeah, that's Die Hard. That's its own thing. Yeah, but uh, Good Day Die Hard sucks. Don't even try that. All right, fine. And that was the last one we in that series on, so go on. My point is, Bruce Willis lost his standards in the divorce, and he never got him back. I, I just, I don't think he, he has it. He doesn't give a shit. That lack of shit giving translates to the films, and people can tell. They can tell when your actor doesn't care. And, like, if he doesn't care, why should I care? Mm -hmm. And Bruce is the king of not giving a shit on camera. Like, nobody is here for the paycheck more than this guy. Oh, yeah. And, and like I said, I would argue that because I've seen some, like, some, like, I want to say I've seen, like, all of his paycheck gigs, but I've seen films where he doesn't give a shit quite a bit now. I think we all have. I would argue that he does a little bit more here. I don't know what, like, Roth did to try to get him to do something. Um, 
But there's moments like when he actually cries during like his daughter being in the hospital. So I'm like, oh, okay, there's Rose at least trying to act that, you know. But I mean, at the same token, is it anywhere close to like when you watch the Die Hard films or you watch Last Boy Scout or, um, you know, any of his early stuff that he did and you saw him have range and be incredibly charismatic and so much fun. And it's just like, what happened to that, man? Uh, maybe it was the uh, maybe it was the hair. You know, back when he was just balding, he wasn't quite entirely bald. He seemed to be a better actor. Yeah. And you could, I, I'm sure some people like, will the divorce with Demi? He's married already to a chick that's like not that much older than some of his daughters. Like, I, like, I don't think he's doing that bad for himself. Like, I think the big thing is he doesn't need the money anymore. Like, he could just stop. He could just retire, give us all a break. He'll be fine. Yeah. I, I, the last best thing he did to, for me, like actual good, was his roast on Comedy Central. <laughs> that, that was, was funny. funny. I love that. I did like when he point, like he settled the diehard argument of the <laughs> action movie or a Christmas movie. He's like, it's neither. It's a Bruce Willis movie. <laughs> like, okay, fair enough. <laughs> it's hard to argue that one, Mr. Willis. Yeah, like he's still in there. He's he's still there. It's just it does not come out very often. No, um, not at all. But uh, you know, kind of going back to the question. I know, like I've I've made you watch quite a bit of Eli Roth's work. Um, here is your chance, my friend, to kind of give your thoughts on the illustrious director and producer because he's produced a lot of shit too. Um. And kind of, and what you kind of think he he was able to bring to this film coming in so late into production that we're about to talk about. Okay. So the only film uh, that Roth has directed that I have not seen is The House with a Clock in Its Walls. I haven't seen that. I saw bits of it when I had to work it when I was working at the Alma Draft House, but I've never watched the entire film. Uh, I have seen everything else, and I gotta say, uh, I don't know if I call myself a fan. He's a uh, he's a bit he's a bit much for me uh i like horror movies i don't like to i don't like to throw up you know what i mean i don't like just sick shit and there's a lot of sick shit in the rocks movies i mean when you when you took me to see the green inferno and i real you know that was a moment where i realized like my my best friend might be a serial killer <laughs> i gotta watch this guy because that movie is i mean just watching a fat guy get butchered alive and our respective reactions to it like me cowering you just chopping away on your popcorn be like, this is pretty good. <laughs> so, you know, that and then Hostel 1 and 2, watching the guy get his dick chopped off. I mean, he was a bad guy, so it was a bit like, eh, okay. But still, uh, and, you know, Cabin Fever has a lot. I don't know, something about Cabin Fever just doesn't quite get there for me. Uh, I just, I think he's kind of a frat boy douche writer when it comes to, like, creating characters and stuff. That's fair. But he, he does excel in the gore department. He does want to put his mark on the genre. I think probably he has at this point. And uh, he seemed a good fit for Death Wish because it is a, a movie about vigilante justice and just, you know, being as exploitative as possible with violence. Uh, unfortunately, in this climate, you know, with all the various school shootings and mass shootings we got to deal with on a daily basis, people you know, like to blame films for that shit. And Death Wish coming out 
around the time of the Las Vegas shooting didn't help. But more on that later. My point is Eli Roth is an acquired taste and there are people who love him and there are people who hate him. I am still figuring it out. I'll give you that. I, and you know, you know me, I'm, I'm big. I love, I'm the love from camp. Um, even though, like I said, I do kind of feel like, and this is in no way like me trying to like put down Tarantino or anything. I just, I do feel like once he became friends with him, there was to me a decline because he focused more on like, Hey, I'm friends with Tarantino. Yeah. You know, like, it's like, all right, cool, dude. I still want you to make fucking good movies though. Like, I don't care about your fucking friendship there. I, I don't like, I'm glad you're friends. I don't give a shit. Um, <laughs> Uh, so I do think that's kind of happened and I will agree that like yeah especially if you watch his first couple of stuff I know like a lot of people that have issues with like his early work and the writing in his early work um, about how it represents like LGBTQ community and things like that because he writes in a very frat boy style in those years and I, I won't deny that it's it's in it's in there like the, it's in there at the same token it never bothers me I know I'm trying to say this without digging a fucking hole right now it doesn't bother me because like in cabin fever, he's dealing with college kids and college dudes. And it was, I think like 2003 when that fucking film came out. Yeah. Um, and that's just how people talk. Like I'm not, again, not just finding him, but again, you gotta look at the, the time period the film came out, what people thought was okay to say versus what we now know is not okay to say, blah, blah, blah. Well, I have no problem with that. Like, I understand that that's the, the way that people in this situation would talk 2003, 2005. That's the, that reflects the times. Right. My beef is that he's continued. No, it's that that's the only personality trait these characters have. It's just frat boy asshole. That's all he's got. Like, there's no, there's nothing to endear you to these characters. It's just watch them die. And the whole, all the pan, the pancake shit from Cabin Fever. I'll still, I'll never understand what the fuck that was. Well, I will still defend that to this day. I just don't understand what he wants. What is he trying to do here? Uh, it's just yeah, he's a he's a he's a he's an oddball. Yeah, uh, I mean, it kind of does with a lot of the films he loves. I mean, he was on he was on an episode of Joe Bob, and for I think it was uh, Mother's the uh, Mother's Day movie, I believe is what he was on there for. Was it that Chris Jericho? No, that wasn't Chris Jericho. I'm pretty sure it was him. Um, but you can tell, like, he's really into that kind of, like, oddball, like, gory stuff. that, he, And he's trying to replicate that big time with his movies. Um, and, yeah, I will say, like, he, he's, like I said, and that character trait, that writing is what kind of got, like, some people to look at his early films would be like, dude, really? I think, like, he had some issues transitioning out of it. Because I, I know there's, like, a couple lines here and there in Green Inferno. But I think him doing more mainstream stuff like Death Wish and uh, House of Clock as well as Hounds Up in Borderlands. He's kind of finally, like, he's gotten out of that writing. I mean, able to kind of, like, do better. Granted, he's not really writing those films. He's just directing them. Um, but in the case of, like, Knock Knock, I thought that was the case where I thought his writing was at least a little bit better. You could tell he was trying to be more mature with that film. Like I said, I would defend Knock Knock because, to me, you're showing that he himself was trying to mature as a filmmaker, like, all around. I'll give you that. Knock Knock is, you know, more psychological. I, I like that. I do like that, you know, he does, he is trying to grow and his films aren't terrible. They're just, I don't know. I don't know if it's stuff I'd go back to, you know, it's like I've seen cabin fever. I've seen hostile. I can move on. Like I'm not buying them. They're not in my collection. Oh, they're in my collection. I know. I know. 
I've gone back to them numerous times. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Eli Roth. And uh, very, you know, he's made his mark. I would say he's kind of divisive in the comics of how people feel about his characterization and his writing and a lot of his early stuff, which is kind of funny that I always put him and Rob Zombie together because same fucking thing with Rob Zombie, it seems. People are so fucking divided on how they feel. And again, I fall in the love camp on that. That's for whenever one of his movies pop up on either one of these shows. Um, with that out of the way, let's dig in to this goddamn production history and to kind of touch on the shootings and stuff like that as well. Okay, here we go. Starting off to 2006, the genesis of when this started. Action icon. Let me start out with that. Icon of action cinema, Sylvester Stallone announced he would be directing and starring in a remake of the original Death Wish. Uh, the biggest thing he talked about in the difference in his version of the film was that he would be a cop that's had incredible success but has never used his gun. So that when the, the, you know, the point happens when his family gets murdered, essentially, um, it would lead to a moral dilemma of him having to now actually decide to use his gun to get that revenge. That was like his big hook for the film. Um, this went nowhere as it would, um, as he side creative differences and a very busy schedule. Cause you know, back in 2006, good old Sly was on the rebound in his career. I believe if I remember my dates are good here, um, but he was on the rebound and it kind of, he left the project. It's weird. Cause Stallone seems tailor-made for death wish. I mean, he's almost like Charles Bronson reincarnated. I mean, it just makes sense, but you know, Rocky Balboa was a call and, and I, I like that movie. So maybe he made the right call. Yeah. I mean, at that time, with like I said, with Balboa, and then not, you know, not too long after that, Rambo kind of coming out and kind of cementing him back as an action action icon, I would have definitely kind of been issued what he would have done with this. But at the same token, I, I want to right now, I've seen some stuff he's on outside, like Rocky Balboa, Rambo, and that expense in the first two expendables, and they're not very good films. So um even when he came back, he was still making some pretty shit stuff. Um he would show interest again, though, not too long after Rambo in 2009. But that um, that would never happen. He expressed interest. Nothing happened again, though, about that. until 2012, and Joe Carnahan was announced to be writing and directing the film. This time, wait for this one, this time it would star Liam Neeson and at the time, I believe, an unknown Frank Grillo. Neeson, no. Grillo, 100%. Like, this could have been a great vehicle for him. Uh, but, you know, I mean, is this any different than Taken if Liam Neeson's here? Yeah, and that's why I say, like, you have Joe Carnahan, who's worked with Grillo numerous times now. Um, and him, Ryan, directing with, I would say, like, yeah, take out Neeson and have Grillo starring. I think we would have had something real good on our hands. Yeah, I agree. Could have been a franchise. Because yeah. Joe Carnahan's one of those filmmakers who keeps tr- keeps trying to get some big shit started, but never quite gets it. You know, the A-team, boss level. He is such a good filmmaker, but he never can quite, you know, get off that first step. 
weird. Yeah, it's it's really weird. And it's funny because people watch stuff and go, oh, I really liked it. And I'm like, well, apparently not enough to warrant them being able to do more. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, that would have been interesting. Well, not all was lost at Conahan, though. Um, as far as like, at least directing rights, it was all lost. But writing rights, not all lost. Um, I do really read Liam Neeson's 2012. This was that would be after Taken, well after Taken, um, when he was doing a sea of like Taken but on a train, Taken but in a foreign. Like it was just like the same fucking plotline and copy paste it. He is always <laughs> a ex agent of some sort who is either divorced or widowed who needs to go after hardcore gangsters to save a family member, a friend of a family member, some kid he just met, something. He yeah. made that movie like 15 times. Yeah. So I don't I don't think it would have worked with him the lead. It just would have felt like, oh, we're just doing another one of these fucking Liam Neeson post take post taken actioners. Cool. Okay. <laughs> well, as we all know, this this version would not come to pass because in 2013, a year later, Cardahan left due to the most famous two birds in Hollywood, creative differences strikes again um ultimately the only thing he got out of this was a sole writing credit for the completed film so from here on out so he wrote this screenplay in 2013 and then just they just took it off the shelf didn't rewrite it anything just use that oh i'm about to get to why they didn't rewrite it okay yes because now now we're going to have come and going directors and stars, but writers essentially they they locked it in with this script. So before we get to the next set, the ones that we have that ultimately stayed with this film, there was a quick float with a director known as uh, Gerardo Naranjo. I'm so sorry if I butchered that last name. It's a Hispanic last name. I don't know this guy. He had no credits I could fucking find. Um, he was on director and. Are you ready for this name, Connor? Yeah. Benicio Del Toro starring. I can get behind that. <laughs> After seeing Sicario, I can definitely get behind that. That's damn, I wish that had happened. <laughs> that would have been badass. But I think I think Benicio could have fucking owned this role. You're not wrong. I mean, Jesus Christ. I yeah. Well, other than on the second, on the other hand, though, maybe if he had done this, we wouldn't have gotten Sicario. So, trade off. Yeah, and I did. I haven't seen the sequel yet to Sicario, but I do really like the first movie. Day of the Soldado is pretty shit. Gotta say, I, I think that's why I stayed away. I just heard. I remember seeing the trailer for him going. I didn't want a sequel. It doesn't need it a like, sequel. It's so confusing. It's yeah. Yeah, I was watching going like everything. I was like, first off, it has like half the cast I enjoyed. So the first one's like it has Emily Blunt. It has fucking John Berthold pop up in it. Checking Josh Brolin, Manichu Del Toro. I was like, this is a fucking great cast. Um, it's obviously with the first name. Everyone knows my crush, but she is a good actress nonetheless. Um, so I, I remember just really liking it, and everything was solved in the movie. So when they announced the sequel, I was like, why? Why? <laughs> yeah, just one of those things. And I think, you know, the first one was Denis Villeneuve, who did not do part two. So there's a tonal shift completely it's it's a it's a it's a mess yeah i'll stay away from it i will say like i do like that villain movie 
Sicario was like a fucking awesome movie that he did. I will get I'll give him credit for that. Regardless of how I feel about some of his comments or you know, deeming me incredibly overrated. But going back to the movie at hand, this version, as we know, would never come to fruition. I could not find a reason why I'm just gonna say creative differences probably struck again. Oh dude, um, the crazy thing about that, like how quickly a project can die in Hollywood, just by like maybe that. Hispanic, that um, Hispanic director looked at a producer wrong at a party once, and he's just like, "We're not making this movie." It, that, it could be that petty. It's it's wild how any movie I, makes it to fruition in Hollywood is kind of a fucking miracle. Oh yeah, I um last week since when we just had Texas Chainsaw Massacre week, uh, Blaze Gusting posted an article. Uh, they were interviewing Adam Marcus. Um, for those who don't know, he directed Friday the uh, I'm sorry, Jason's Dead. The Chasing Goes to Hell, the final Friday, and he actually wrote the original screenplay for Texas Chainsaw 3D. Now, in the case, well, so in the case of Chasing Goes to Hell, he did an interview on the movie crit where he set the record straight saying, I did what I could. He goes, but I was a 21, 22 year old director, and Sean Cunningham came up to him and said, I don't want the fucking mask in this movie. He goes, the first thing Sean Cunningham told was like, get rid of the fucking mask. Cunningham literally set him up for failure for that movie right off the bat. And then when everyone acted the way they did about the movie, instead of Cunningham taking the blame, he directed it all to Adam Marcus. Why wouldn't he want the mask? That's Jason's whole thing. Like, why would he want to cut that out? Because, and this is how I learned a lot more about Sean Cunningham, Adam Marcus straight up admitted no fucks given that Cunningham doesn't like horror movies. He doesn't like the Friday 13 franchise and he hates horror fans basically. He has zero care for any of this shit. It just makes him money. But he's not gonna make money if we don't see Jason. <laughs> like that's the whole mm-hmm. point. That's the whole reason this franchise makes money. Yeah. Uh, I know. Jesus Christ. And he's using all his money to fight a stupid legal battle instead of coming to an agreement so he can keep getting money. But the problem is he's the type of guy that he doesn't even want a little bit to go away. He wants all of it. Can somebody just give this guy like $200 million to fuck off? Like, new, what, what's that? It's New Line, right? Who makes? New Line. Well, New Line, I want to say, owns it now. So okay. any feature films would have to go through them and Platinum Dunes. I don't know how Platinum Dunes works with these companies because I know they did the 09 remake. So I don't well, know how they work with these companies. Well, I know New Line and Michael Bay, I'm sure, could scrounge up a sizable amount to just pay Cunningham to fuck off. Oh, and that would be nice. Are. Yeah. It definitely, look, like, look, I have, like, you know, you know I me, mean? I have the fire that you said. I have the documentary, Never, I'm supposed to Never Sleep Again, uh, Crystal Lake Memories. I have that documentary also. So, um, And Cunningham, you know, obviously, he's plastered on it because he's the fucking producer. But ever since I listened to that interview, it's like, it's hard for me to, like, when I see him talk about French, I'm like, you fucking cock. Like, you you hate this, and yet you're sitting there gladly talking about it because it gives me money. I get money out of it. God, it's like it's like a kid trapped with an abusive stepdad. <laughs> we got to save Jason. Really Somebody has do. to save Jason. You <laughs> really do. That's why you were hearing before it went to legal into court that's why you were hearing so many different fucking ideals being thrown out about a new chase film like oh they're going to do this oh this director came and went because they were literally rushing because they knew the court case was about to happen 
So the company was like, let's rush and try to get a movie out so we can get them a Friday 13th movie. If we don't do it, it's going to be a fucking hot minute. Oh, Jesus. That's unfortunate. Anyway. Yeah. After, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> that and then um, I forgot the point, but also in the case of like Adam Marcus, I was going to say my own point of him writing uh, the Texas Chainsaw. I, I forgot how we got here, but moving on. Um, oh, yeah. The producers you were talking about. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. I, I believe it because, okay. So Adam Marcus did a full thing where you talked about his script with Blaze Gussing for Texas Chainsaw 3D. And he made the comment that a, like you said there, right? A certain director, like something pisses him off and next thing the movie shut down. They didn't name the producer during the thing to give you an idea of like, like already the stance they were taking on this. Like we're not even going to name them, but apparently the producer lied and cheated them every step of the way at one point they said they wrote they, by the way the original script they wrote you really don't see it in the movie so like before you say like well they wrote a shitty movie anyway most of what you saw was not in their fucking script yeah. in the final film um the, what they got actually got like a lot of attention and they made a comment they're like it got a lot of attention we were getting phone calls from our companies about doing this and that like they like they liked our script they wanted to go forward with our script the producer found a way to make it more it came off like his ideal and get them out of it and uh, you know eventually got found out because at one point someone ratted him out saying hey you're trying to change his name <laughs> to say you know blah blah on the screen wait what the fuck's going on and you know got caught but you know he still found ways to fuck them over so yeah it's it doesn't because like things like um he made the comment the do your thing cuz that gets mocked so much He's like, that wasn't in my fucking script. He's like, I did not write that. He's like, I did not write a fucking Chicago person saying, welcome to Texas, motherfucker. He's like, so I'm not going to get the state of Texas on my ass for that. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, God. Like, I, I don't Marcus, man. If you ever want, like, a fucking candid motherfucker, when it comes to, like, hey, look, like, he'll gladly own up to anything he did do, but he'll be quick to be like, that wasn't my fucking fault, and this is why. <laughs> Like I, yeah, he's awesome. Um, so yeah, that's why I say that. I brought that because your producer thing. It that's why it scares me with like producers and stuff like that. And why I'm glad we have companies like Blumhouse. And I know we kind of we we've made our comments about how we feel about A24 as a whole. But even like the A24 guys, that they are to me what producers should be, and that they're not letting petty things stop them or get all this credit. They're just like, yeah, man, we'll support your movie. We'll fucking market it. We'll we'll make sure your movie gets out there and you do your thing. And guess what? I'm going to pay you and leave you alone. Yeah. Producers should finance a project they believe in and just let it happen. It's yeah. I, I'm just picturing like, you know, Cunningham telling, telling the guy like, Hey, no, no mask. No, like no Jason. I'm just picturing him like some, the same, like different producer going up to Marcus for Texas chainsaw and being like, no, no human mask face, no chainsaw. <laughs> Just keep doing that to him. <laughs> Can't be in Texas. No chainsaw. <laughs> Just what the fuck do you want? <laughs> there is definitely not going to be a massacre in this goddamn movie. <laughs> oh, it's what they do, though. It's like they're trying to sabotage this shit. It's like the producers, you know, if you somehow manage to create something that's shit, you get the payday from like betting on the other side. I'm sure yeah. there's some of that well, going on. That's the other thing that fucked them over with Texas Chainsaw. They wrote a, he said they had writ, wrote like a $40 million movie. 
or something like that because that's what the producers told them they would have and then he came back like after they finished and went we had to cut all this shit and they're like why it's like 20 or 8 million or something like that he did not even get nearly half of what he promised them what the fuck and so like he said he had like the whole converse carnival scene you see in the movie he's like dude he's like dude the way it was written like Leatherface was going to fuck those people up he goes that was going to be like a legit massacre scene in the movie and you know we got what we got in the final film which i think just kind of runs through it real quick because he's like they fucking cut our budget we couldn't do anything with it anymore that sucks like but don't these producers realize that by hindering these films they are going to make no profit off this thing they're shooting themselves in the foot why don't they realize that right because they don't care they don't care i mean look cunning i mean i can't i I cannot tell you what, like, because I don't know what mindset of being until a, a first-time director in their 20s, and they get handed the keys to, like, the ninth Friday 13th film, and the first thing you tell them is, I don't want that fucking hockey mask in this movie. That's, that's like, wait, what? At least, at least Netflix saved Bubba, but somebody's got to save Jason, and I don't even know what the fuck's happening with Freddy, but help you him out, Bubba? too. Well, that's an that's an estate thing with with Freddy. Estates being uh, particular about who takes Freddy next. Give it to the Scream guys. They clearly know what they're doing with Craven's properties. Scream or Elijah Woods Company? Yeah, definitely. Oh, but, uh, anyway, this anyway. is a nice tangent. I was always like on on these tangents. Um, back to this one though. After this quick flirt, I mean, this was like. The quickest five second of flirts. The script would lay dormant for three fucking years, just shelved for three years. March 2016 rolls around. MGM, I guess, dusted it off and announced directors Aharon uh, uh, Kashalis and Navat Papuchado. I'm so sorry for butchering these names. I've never heard these people would be directing with Bruce Willis set to star. If you want to see the insane fucking cast list of shorthands they had, get on fucking Wikipedia. Um, they had like Ron Perlman, I think even Tom Cruise. Like they, it was an insane, fu- it was like a who's who of like, if they've been in at least one action film, we're going to try to get them into this film. <laughs> there are like 12 people here who would have been better than Bruce Willis. Like maybe no to Christopher Lambert. And dot or and maybe like a drunk ass fucked up Michael Bean, but everybody else I think could have been really good. <laughs> yeah, I, I I was thinking about typing some names up, and I was like, no, because I was like, I was looking at that list, and I was like, gee, this Christ on these names. Yeah, it's quite a significant list of who's who of iconic action stars. Yeah, I'm actually I am pulling it up right now just so I can read off some names to you. Lovely yeah. folks to get in. I hear okay, here we go. We're looking at and okay, in this first one in his prime guys. So before we all say he's that now, okay, I get it. Russell Crowe, Matt Damon, Will Smith, which probably would have happened nowadays, fucking Snake Pliskin himself, Kurt Russell, Michael fucking Keaton. Harrison Ford, Don Johnson, Stephen Lang, who I actually would have gone, if you couldn't get Bruce Willis, I would have 100% backed Stephen Lang. 
he would have killed it. Um, Tommy Lee Jones, which I actually don't think would have done a good job at all. And this one got me. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger. No, because I don't – in Chicago, no. That's why, that's why that one stood out. I'm like, that one – no, <laughs> I think honestly, Don Johnson would have been a great choice. I just, yeah, yeah, I can. You got to play family man and vigilante, and a lot of these guys are just able to pull off the vigilante part or too expensive. <laughs> yeah, I think Stephen Lane could have pulled off both, honestly. Um, but Don Johnson, because I watched uh, his his Watchmen show he was in. Mm-hmm. Where he had like he was like a family man, but then also was like it gets revealed later he was a KKK member, but um, or some shit like that, some like racist thing like that. It they used a lot of metaphors in that show to go watch a very fucking deep show, yeah, way deeper than it had any right to be, but also not bad. Um, so I can see him doing it. Like a lot of these names, like just because of I love these two, Kurt Russell, Monkey, and I would have backed any day of the week. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, we even see on like. Kurt's the man. I he can do he can do no wrong in my opinion. Uh, and I want to just set the record straight here. Russell Crowe got fat for Unhinged, which I thought was a decent flick. So give the man a, a break. He got he yeah, got yeah, chunky. Yeah. He made Unhinged, and then the pandemic happened. So yeah, no one's getting in shape during during a pandemic. Let the man got him a break. <laughs> yeah, I just had to say that because I know some people are like really brute. Because I'm looking at Bruce Willis's name. <laughs> really, Russell Crowe? He's fat now. I'm like, okay, but I'm like you said, you got fat for a role. I'm sure you would have lost it. Um, it's not like the case of Brendan Fraser, which I just think, unfortunately, he's just he's going to stay that size and he doesn't care. You know what? I don't care because I love Brendan Fraser that much. I'm glad yeah. he's happy with himself. I'm okay to you know as long as Brendan Fraser's in a good place, I'll take a chubby Firefly. I don't I don't care. <laughs> I'll take it. I've been watching Doom Patrol. He's fucking hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah so yeah it, i i really like i remember when i was writing this, the script and i was looking at it i was like god damn i did not realize like how many names were attached and somehow of all that we got bruce willis and not in his prime bruce willis which is the disappointing part um but all right, this was all in march okay by may not that long <laughs> the directors would leave but this time, not the blanketed creative differences. This was openly stated to be because MGM refused to let them rewrite Carnahan's script simply because Bruce Willis approved it. And that was apparently how they got Bruce Willis to agree to the movie. Why did, why try so hard to secure this guy? Like, you've got options. I'm sure people who'd be much more agreeable to work with i feel like kurt russell would be awesome to work with yeah i'm sure like kurt russell michael keen wouldn't give him two shits if the script got changed a bit steven lane wouldn't have cared don johnson like yeah these guys brad pitt would have been like yeah whatever whatever works for the movie yeah i mean i feel like you know some of these guys aren't going to complain because they need the work other guys are just happy to be here other guys are like i get to be in a death wish movie fuck yeah bruce willis is like i'm here and I'm the most important part, part of this movie, so I say what goes. And that's just fucked up. Yeah. It, it's I've quickly learned it's no surprise that Bruce Lewis has gotten quite the ego. Um, I quickly found that one out. Probably the biggest, the biggest uh, moment for me realizing that was when I heard 
about Expendables 3 and how I think he was on there. He's supposed to be on there like for four days and he was going to get three million total. And he got pissy because he's like, no, I want four million, uh, a million a day. And, and I guess he guess I, he attempted to put Stallone in like an ultimatum about it. And Stallone, oh, yeah, he's on like, you're do this. You're give me what I want or you fire me. Stallone in the same fucking day. And you know what? You go, Sly. You fucking man, you. <laughs> he fired him and hired Harrison Ford all in the same day. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Harrison Ford was like, how much? Three million? Four days? Got it. Let's go. <laughs> Harrison Ford's like, the he's the anti-Bruce Willis. He also does not give a fuck, but he will try every single time. <laughs> he's here for the money just as much as Bruce Willis is. But he also gives a damn about his legacy and wants to deliver quality work. And I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, I, that was apparent when he came back to do Star Wars. Like, he, he came, when he came back after saying, like, I never want to do this character because he's not exactly fond of Han Solo. Um, but he agreed. He's like, and he gave it his all. And his only demand, his only fucking demand, I don't even think it's that outrageous, was like, you have to kill me off. Yeah. And even then, Two movies later, he comes back as a ghost. It's like, yeah, okay. And, but yeah, I mean, like I said, like even then, if I was able to be like, that's really not the worst man. I think we can write that into the movie somehow. Like, but even even with that, all Ford had to do was show up. He could have demanded, like, I don't want to say any lines. I will just walk on screen, like because they he knew they needed him. Mm-hmm. Instead, he's like, this is a the swan song of Han Solo. I'm gonna do this right, and he delivered maybe the best performance of Han Solo in the whole damn franchise. Yeah. So, yeah, props to Harrison Ford. Good for him. Yeah. Or someone like, I know it's not Ford, but like, you know, very recently with um, William Dafoe and the new Spider-Man. And his, you know, his, when I heard about his demands, I'm like, that's actually like really reasonable. Like he, he, it's his way of saying like, if you do this, I want to do it and I want to do great for you guys. Yeah. Show them the finished product. Yeah, I mean, if anything, he like supremely eclipsed his performance in the first Spider-Man movie. I mean, he's terrifying in No Way Home. And yeah, I I love actors who like, you know, sure it might be for the check, but they're not going to let that like, you know, curb their performance. And I, I, I respect yeah. that. Yeah, and I, I think because like to me, it's so hard for me when like these actors want to do paycheck gigs and they they don't give a shit and they act like they just hate it so much. And I'm like, I can't sympathize with you because you go home to your fucking Hollywood mansion at the end of the day. So either fucking get over yourself and give me a good performance because that's your job is to give me a good fucking performance to get behind. Or if you hate it so much, be smart with your money and find a way to not act anymore. Do behind the scenes stuff. Run your production company. Cash in on those investments. Like you can do it, but stop... Like in Rose's case, stop doing all these low rent films. We don't give a shit because it's just annoying to watch, dude. I know it's frustrating. I wish he would just start up like Spruce Bruce Productions or some shit, and then like do a new Die Hard franchise with some other asshole that he's not involved in, but he finances. I just I'm I'm kind of tired of seeing him in front of the screen because I know he's fucking tired of being in front of the screen. <laughs> he does not like it, but. That that's that's what happened here in this movie. He uh, Willis approved the script, so they were like, "Well, we're not going to change it." And they're like, "Well, it's a fucking three year old script, so bye." 
directors left. They're like, fuck you. It's a three-year-old script. It needs to be rewritten, but you won't do it because you're a star later. Was that a smart move? Because like you said, you'd never heard these guys' names before. No, it was probably, it was a terrible move, if you ask me. <laughs> yep. A horrendously terrible move. But at the same time, with how this film kind of like went, came and went, I don't think either move would have been fine. I think the only reason the Eli Roth guy away was because he was already established name. People knew who he was. He had his hands in her shit. He has the friendship of Tarantino. I mentioned that he just loves to fucking shower around. <laughs> to be fair, if I was friends with Quentin Tarantino, I would never stop pulling that card. I get it. God damn it. All right. <laughs> with that said, speaking of Roth, finally, of all these directors I named, the following month, took them a whole month, Roth came in to direct and he ultimately brought this film to completion. Um, no, At this point, once he came on board, there were no production issues, nothing. They were able to film it, get it out. The only last snafu they had. The film was originally dated for November of 2017. Now, notice I said 2018's Death Wish. That was because they had to delay it um, into 2018. I believe it was March, somewhere around that time, somewhere around there, because of the um, unfortunate Las Vegas shooting that happened. At least that's the rumor. It actually has not even been confirmed, but that was why they did it. It's uh, just been rumored for years now. Um, and unfortunately, if that was the case, I'm, I'm sure it was, it did not work in their favor anyway, because ultimately, even when it came out months removed from the shooting, it would get reviled by critics. I'm going to say audiences because it bombed, but apparently 71 fucking percent blows my mind. Um, where were you at the theater? Whatever. And it just quickly disappeared. Um, and to this day, you know, if you like, you were kind of, I think you brought it briefly with the reviews, and we'll talk more about it here. The f- critics, in particular, never really seemed to talk about the film or the content or why they didn't like it, but they went in hard about the film's usage of guns and stance on gun violence and how this is ill time. So even delaying it 2018, like they did, still didn't fucking work in their favor because from what I'm gathering, the critics still fucking went in hard on it on that. Audiences, it's actually probably why they didn't go to the theater because they didn't want to see that type of thing yet they watched it at home at home whatever and i i'm starting to feel like that is the reason why um i'm going to open the floor to you about like this and essentially kind of like i guess like we said talk a little bit about like blaming the movies <laughs> the age-old discussions i think it's ridiculous to say to, to pull ill timing into this film being bad, almost like they were planning to release this on the day of a shooting, like, like that was intentional. It's not how it works. It's not the film's fault. The guy didn't go see Death Wish and be like, oh, I got to do that shit to a bunch of people in Vegas. That's not what happened. That's, I, I am a firm believer in that art has nothing to do with real life violence. It's 100% a mental illness problem. It's a society problem. I like, I mean, look at you. You have watched some of the most fucked up shit I have ever thought about. And as far as I know, you've never killed anybody. I like how you say that. Like you don't know. That's called plausible deniability. And that's my way of keeping myself safe. If this ever gets played in the courtroom. 
Oh my god. <laughs> my, point is, <laughs> my point is you're saying it's got, you know, these movies aren't driving you to like fulfill dark urges because they're they don't exist in you. Because it's that's not how it works. If that's how it would have that's how it works, why aren't there so many more crazy people in this country whenever a film like I don't know, Die Hard makes, you know, $500 million. Why isn't that, why isn't it followed immediately by a giant surge of murder? Right, or when the first Saw came out, why wasn't there a surge of fucking people being, putting, yeah. being put into elaborate death traps? When the new why? Dune game came out, where was the fallout? <laughs> it's not how it works. It's a bullshit argument. It's people who refuse to look inward at themselves and address serious mental illness problems we have in this country. It's yeah. So I, I don't blame the work one at all in any capacity. I never have. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. I've never, I, before I go you know, talking about the movie first itself, and then I'll talk about like how I feel, especially like you said, me being a big horror fan, I have a lot of feelings on this. because I've been quite attacked and not just for that, but also for my love of heavy metal music. So it's like, I get fucking attacked for two different things. I love and adore, but whatever. Yeah, you straight up fit the profile. <laughs> By society standards, yes. As I walk around with a sleeve of horror movie characters on my arm, too. It's great. Yep. And you're white. That doesn't help. No, and I'm bald. So for some people, that's a scary fucking factor. <laughs> oh, Jesus. God, I'm not helping my case right now. <laughs> when, no, like he said, in the case of this film, yeah, it's not like they set that November date thinking there's going to be a shooting on that date and we are going to cash in hard on that. No, they set that date so like that's when the film's going to be completed. That's an open slot for us to release it. We think it'll do good there. And on the, other, on the other side of the coin, it's not like the Vegas guy's like, I can't wait to fuck up Death Wish's release by killing all these people. Yeah. It's like, oh, that de- no, I'm going to mess up that release. Fuck Eli Roth. And I, like, I doubt that was the case. Um, like, it just, <laughs> it was just unfortunate timing. And then, like you said, like blaming the the film and trying to say like, you know, going out to the film for its messaging on guns. Like, look, I'm a firm stance that like you, like you, like you said, like if you're going in and watching this film, right? And you think I can't wait to do that in real life. There is absolutely something wrong with you as a human being. Like there is a mental issue that needs to be addressed or Needs to get in jerks who might be, you know, potential psychopath, serial killer in the in the works here. Um, so that is 100 percent a you thing. And I think kind of going now bigger with this, with like how horror's been attacked, you know, especially obviously the you know, when we did our top 10 right, I kind of talked about my love for the early 2000s horror films. That's when I was like really finding it. A lot of those films get attacked because of how graphically violent they are and in your face, right? And how, how can you put this one on? And what does it do to the youth of America? I fucking hate hearing that. You hear it in metal too all the time. How can you guys listen to bands like Cannibal Corpse with a, a cover on the album of a, two dead people performing Cunnilingus? Like, oh, the how can the youth of America see something like that? Um, look. The youth of America are doing that. <laughs> yeah. That's a start. <laughs> yeah, they are. Uh, like... <laughs> Like you said, this country has such. I think I'm not even gonna say this. I'm sure other countries have the same fucking problem. It's not just like an America only thing. Where instead of looking at you know what is wrong, like 
wrong with this person mentally, taking mental health issues a lot more seriously, they go, fuck that, we're going to blame this. And say that the, they should be watching what they put in that thing. And what scares me about that, you know, and especially kind of, I guess, making this timely with how some people feel about fucking shit going on in politics nowadays. I don't want you fucking into that. But one of the things I always hear, right, from the ultra right, especially, is the fastest, 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 blah, blah, blah. There's nothing that screams that more than blaming the media for something and saying we should censor it. Yep. It's, nothing's more fascist than fucking censorship. I, I believe that 100%. But these, you know, these people don't ever look inward at themselves. They don't ever have that, like, maybe I'm the fucking problem moment of clarity. It doesn't exist yeah. with these people. Nope. And, and look, check this out. Even if, let's say, I know I'm saying, like, it's a mental issue. Let's say you're like me, right, and you love this shit. Let's say if I if I ever give me and have kids, right? The responsible thing I would do as a parent is to make sure that I've talked to my children about like what you see on screen is fake. It's not real. What you see in video games is obviously fake. It's not real. I was like, so you can enjoy this by all means. There's nothing wrong with enjoying it. But you not you do not replicate this in real life. There are consequences to that. You know, and that that's where I think I get noise that it's Stop blaming the media because the media, not in the media, but like the entertainment industry, they're not a, your parent. They're trying to make entertainment for you. Be a parent. Yeah, that's another you know big thing I, I, I don't like when people try to pass the buck. When they don't want to talk to their kids about, you know, violence or homosexuality or sex or like anything that is a difficult conversation. They try to act like, you know. If they stop playing Doom, they'll stop asking these questions or they won't think like that. Or if they stop watching, you know, it's horror movies are the problem. That's bad parenting. It's your job to prepare these kids for life. And if you're not going to do that, you're a shitty parent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we all can tell, by the way, we can always tell who are the shitty parents. Yeah. Like the uh, thing on the video game front, um, I used to get, it's finally calmed down now. But I remember for a while, especially with Grand Theft Auto, you hear stories about like parents wanting to sue because they brought, you know, they went to GameStop, bought Grand Theft Auto San Andreas, which by the way, folks, is rated in for mature. If you look at the back of the case, it'll tell you exactly why it's rated that in really big words. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> and then they take it home and are appalled at what the fuck their kid are playing. They're like, sue, because we didn't know the content was in there. And it is their job to make sure that kind of stuff's on the game and that it should be known. I'm like, no, it's your job as a parent that when you go to the something like GameStop, like when you used to, I know people get shit digital nowadays, but when you go there and you buy a game for your child, especially like, let's say it's Grand Theft Auto or fucking God of War. I'm talking the ones that you could do the sex mini games in before they got more mature with 2018's God of War. Um, good times. Yeah, I know the good old days. But when you see that's rated M, turn the goddamn box to the back. Because unlike movies that were sometimes just have like the rating stuff on there, but then not tell you why, because they can have a little more leeway as long as the rating's there, really. Games, they have to have the rating first off on both sides of the case. And on the back, it has to say exactly why it's fucking rated. It's probably ASRB rules. Yeah. Flip it to the back and read it. If you think, see things like, if it just says language, violence, and blood, you're like, okay, that's fine. Right, but if you sit there and go like, "Oh my God, nudity, graphic, sexual," nope, put it back. Be a parent. If you don't want kids to see it, put it the fuck back and be like, "No, you're not playing it here." 
now what they do outside of their house. It's not society's job to raise your damn kids. It's yours. There's, there's my two cents. Yeah. No, I play <laughs> video games, but same thing with movies. Like, should exist for a reason. And to, like, kind of bringing it back to Death Wish, have critics go so hard and blame this. It's just utterly insane to me. Well, and also, like, looking into the backstories of these shooters and these killers and these crazy people, it's never Saw or Doom or Death Wish or, you know, Grand Theft Auto that causes this. It's the hyper-controlling psycho parents who manipulate the fuck out of their kids and turn them into these monsters. That's where it always comes from. All this shit always starts in the same place, like, in the home. So, honestly, if you want your kid to succeed, leave him the fuck alone for a bit. (laughs) Yeah, look. I watched all of the horror films as a kid. I was watching those 2000s horror films, having all that Hills Have Eyes, Devil's Rejects, violence, and in a lot of cases, rape. Because I forgot there was a lot of rape during that period of horror and mainstream horror. Yeah. Um, thrown into my face. I played fucking Grand Theft Auto at my buddy's house all the time. Love and metal, you know, Slipknot's People Equal Shit was my jam. And yet, here I am today, perfectly fine. I may have given up on Hermione a little bit, but I'm fine. Yeah, you're you're fine. Everyone else has gotten all fucked up though, which is hilarious. Maybe getting raised on a diet of heavy metal and horror movies has made you a better person. Yes. With a whole I think there's an heaping, argument there. With a heaping dose of Dr. Pepper running through my veins. Yeah. Which is what <laughs> I've been drinking this whole time, and I just finished it actually. Yeah, you got the heart of a fucking Texan. Grand old state of Texas. All right. Yeah. Point is, Death Wish had nothing to do with the shooting. The shooting had nothing to do with Death Wish. That ill time bullshit is just a way for people to try to virtue signal and say, you know, shootings are bad. And this movie has violence. So that's bad. Okay. Like, no correlation. Yeah. <laughs> well, and mind you, it's the only film they attacked in 2018. Let's not forget the fact that Hereditary came out the same year. And you see in like the first 30 minutes a main character's head on the side of the road. Like for Christ's sakes, that didn't get attacked. Yeah, they didn't suddenly come after like, you know, this movie's uh glorifying car accidents or some shit like that. Like it's just, you know, you pick your battles and they don't always we never pick the right ones. No, no, we don't. We pick the ones that make us have to backtrack way later. Uh, I think, you know, Death Wish was not a great movie. I didn't think it was terrible, but I'm sure, you know, Bruce Willis's phoned in performance and the fact that it's pretty much the same movie and doesn't really stand out. That's that's why it should have failed the box office, not because it anybody was connecting it with a tragic real life shooting. Yeah, and I'm with you. It should have definitely like if you're going to attack this film, be it for the fact that, yeah, like I said, I don't hate. Bruce Willis as much, but it's still not a great performance from Bruce Willis that we know he's capable of. It, you know, Eli Roth to me like merely finishes the film, but it seemed like he wasn't able to do a lot to make it stand out. He just he did his best. And that ov- overall, this is like a fine film. If anything, like that's we it's a fine movie. It has elements I'm not that into, but it also has a lot of stuff I do like. It's it's fine, you know, it's okay. Yeah. It's it's not the worst film we've done on this show so far, but you know, it's not the best. I still think the best overall movie experience that we've had, that I've had on this show so far 
is Doom. <laughs> but, you know, I'm sure that'll change. I don't know why, but I thought you were going to say Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> it's up there. It's close. It's very close. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I saw for a minute, like, Jessica Simpson's Daisy Duke was going to encroach on your mind and be like, yep, Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> Semper Fi, motherfucker. Faithful to the core. <laughs> only got one shot <laughs> oh i don't yeah you can take either one of those but my, my point is you know for a bad movie podcast this is not that terrible yeah it's it's something that like if you were to put it on i won't complain yeah i'll just be like oh okay and then i'll, I'll fucking sit there and watch while playing on my phone it's fine <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's background noise that's you know if it's on hbo and nothing else is on, I'll I'll put it on, lower the volume, and do something else. Yeah. It, <laughs> it, 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 my, my, my body won't hurt at the thought of it being on my TV. <laughs> Whereas, like, Island of Dr. Moreau, I'm shutting that shit down immediately. <laughs> I want to shut it down, and if someone put it on, I'm, I will kill them. I know we just had a big talk about this, but I will murder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I know we just really dove into like production and kind of like our stance on how we feel about, you know, movies and violence and at least in my case, entertainment and violence is like kind of like all of it and it all gets thrown into that fucking lump. Um, anything else like that or shall we move on to the awards? Let's move on. I think we've covered our thoughts on society and violence, which is not where I expected to go tonight, but it's Death Wish. I, mean, I should have. Yeah. And in all fairness, this film does try really hard to talk about that, um, which I'll get into later during our awards, actually. Um, but with that said, uh, first up, Zack Snyder, the worst scene. What you got? Uh, this was hard because there's not really a lot of bad scenes in the movie. It's a pretty well-constructed film, I got to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one moment where I was like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> like, what is this, Family Guy? It was um, when Bruce Willis, I don't remember his character's name. I'm going to call him Bruce Willis. He's He's been playing Bruce Willis for 30 years now. <laughs> um, <laughs> he, he tracks down... Uh, the warehouse like or the liquor store where everything all the stolen goods are stored and he takes on the fish because his name's carp get get it (laughs) and the guy gets the drop on him he's about to shoot him and somebody like one of them knocks a bowling ball off the the wall and it rolls onto the guy's head he falls into bruce willis who grabs his gun shoots the guy in the head i'm like are you fucking kidding me a Rube Goldberg bowling ball. That's how this guy goes out. I thought yeah. that was so stupid. <laughs> no, yeah. Eh. It's fine because like I thought like the, the deaths that happened later were like really inventive. Um, especially one particular one involving a car. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, but yeah, I mean this one it didn't bug me as much, but I see where you're coming from. Um it in this case of like family guy, or even like in I'm it's kind of on my mind because they announced that there's a new one coming out finally. Almost final destination to me. Hmm. Like all this other shit happens that leads ultimately to the death. But whereas Final Destination literally built its franchise off that I do. This it I can see where like this fills out a place to you in here. 
Yeah. It was like there was no logical way for Bruce to get out of that. And so they just figured out, like, oh, maybe God owes him a favor. <laughs> yeah, that was dumb. Okay. Um, mine, I'm with you. I was, it was kind of hard because I was like, this is actually pretty, like, construction-wise, like, this is a very well-constructed film. Like, but I went for, for one thing that just kind of felt random and, like, it will lead ultimately to my, uh, towards the end of my awards here, ultimately what I'm kind of getting at. But something that, like, to me, he went home way too hard in the social commentary. And that's shortly after the funeral um, for his wife. Bruce Willis is in the car with, I think, his father-in-law. And randomly, as they're conversing, he, he turns off to the side of the road onto what I'm assuming is his property. So they talk about it and runs these poachers off who were revealed to be fucking hunting a deer. And I'm look, I'm from Texas. You don't need a poached deer, by the way. Like, they're plentiful, and there's a hunting season, and you can usually hunt as much as you fucking want, because those things breed like jackrabbits. Um, so that, first off, threw me off. I'm like, are they even poaching for a fucking deer? That's weird. And not even a buck. It's a fucking doe. It has no antlers. I have a lot of issues with what they were poaching, first off. And second off, like, it just led to, like, a scene that, to me, was way too on the nose with, like, the, what he was trying to, you know, his his commentary on the film. It was, like, way too on the nose at this point. I forgot about that scene. I, I figured that was going to lead into something, and it never did, and it just kind of left my mind. Because yeah, yeah, there's a, um, a scene a lot like that in the original that leads to him learning how to shoot a gun. So I thought that's where they were going to go, but it, it just ends with him being like, if you want to protect your family, you got to get, you know, you got to do it yourself and then killing the deer. Like, okay. Not exactly subtle. <laughs> and yeah, it was weird to see like poachers. I, I didn't quite like, I didn't know that happened in, <laughs> in the United States. I think poacher, I immediately think like the, the Savannah going after lions and shit. Yeah. Not after a fucking doe. <laughs> like, <laughs> Not, for those who may not be as savvy, I'm not trying to say you're dumb, but female deer. <laughs> I know this way too well growing up in Texas and fucking deer season was like one of the like Friday night football. Deer season and Friday night football. Oh, God. <laughs> but yeah, I get why you'd pick that. It's out of place. It's weird. I don't know why dad was just driving around with his shotgun in the front seat. Like almost like he was expecting this. <laughs> Yeah, like he was like, ah, shit, not again. He didn't have a reaction. He had more of a like, oh, here we go kind of reaction to it. Like, finally, something, something to hunt. Like, oh, I'm going to get those kids. I'm going to get those kids this time. <laughs> it was so strange. Yeah. Yeah. Good call. Yeah. It, actually, it's hard, but that, that scene was just way too out of place for me. Um, Our next one, which mainly was also kind of hard for me, but. I found some stuff. Uh, the Ed Wood worst line or lines? I only have one. Uh, and it's 100% from delivery. Uh, Bruce, god damn it. Uh, just, he just, his wife was just killed. His daughter's in a coma. I, you know, I assume if that happened to me, I'd be a little, little sniffly, a little, uh, little miffed, little PO'd, something. <laughs> I wouldn't be a, a goddamn statue. 
a little, a little miffed. Just a, just a bit like, ah, oh, man. Just a smidge. Be a, my a, a smidge bothered, I feel. Like, like now, like yeah. It's minor, like, it's a major inconvenience to your day. Like, God damn it. Now I don't get to go bowling tonight. God <laughs> damn it. I had stuff going on. <laughs> anyway, Bruce looking at his daughter in the coma, who also just comes out of the coma, like, super ready to go, which... It was a little weird. She I, just, have more on that, I have more on that one in my line, so I know what you mean. Well, he's looking at her. He goes, look what these animals did to my baby. But not as, not with as much conviction as I just gave him. <laughs> so, yeah, that was like, I wrote that down like, buddy, come on. Is, is this the first take? And Bruce said, no second takes. <laughs> I told you I approved this script. Which means I approve that take. The most you need. I was thinking of my five daughters. You son of a bitch. That's the best you get from me. There was a. Um, do you remember Between Two Ferns? Yeah, yeah. He, Bruce Willis did one, and Zach Galifianakis said the funniest shit I've ever heard. Said to Bruce Willis, he said, "Where do you keep your Oscar?" Oh no, wait. I'm sorry. Your blockbuster entertainer of the year award. Where do you keep that? <laughs> and this reminds me. Oh, that's why. That's why you don't have an Oscar, Bruce. <laughs> uh, you've had it all, Bruce, and then fucking apparently divorcing Demi Moore really fucked things up for you. Uh, I feel like life and. Bruce Willis fucked things up for Bruce Willis, but whatever, whatever you may, whatever you may think. Bruce Willis, just Bruce Willis is when he wants to Bruce Willis. Um, <laughs> I don't know oh, why, I just, why I just said that. I <laughs> made some weird sort of sense to me. <laughs> kind of did. I was like, I don't know if it's going to make sense or not, but it kind of did. Um, I had two lines. I found two. Um, the first one is actually going back to the poaching scene, and it's because when he said, I was like, well, no shit, dude. Um, and that's when the father-in-law goes, police arrive only after the crime has taken place. And I kind of sat there for a minute and went, I mean, well, yeah, they don't, they're not magical. They don't know when every crime's happening. You have to call them. <laughs> so then they can go take care of it after. <laughs> that's literally their job, you dumbass. This is not minority report. We're not, yeah. we're not psychic. We don't have psychic officers. Like, yeah, it sucks, but that's the way of the world. Yeah. And even then, let's really get, let's really look at this. He wants to, he's basically telling Bruce Willis to like take it into your own hands after it's already happened, though. So by taking it into your own hands, you're theoretically still doing it after the crime has taken place. Henceforth, just let the police do their fucking job. No one was killed. There would be no need for revenge. That's how it works. Like, why is this presented as some profound notion? Yeah. <laughs> if there was no crime, there would be no police anyway. So, and again, I don't know if you know how they work. You have to call nine one one. Generally after the crime has happened, or if it's something like, you know, like a break-in, right, and you're in your house and you're hiding, as it's happening, and the police will respond. 
They don't just go, huh, my police senses are tingling. I have to go take care of this crime. I think it's about to happen. <laughs> That'd be awesome, but no. <laughs> no. So that was my first one, just because I was like, that was a dumb line. My second one goes back to what you were saying about her in a coma. So as I was watching, I was, sitting, I was looking at like the line. I was like, is there anything? I wonder if there's anything else that actually makes it to my first line. Then this happened. And like you said, she gets out of her coma. She seems apparently perfectly fine. They're having dinner one night. Good old Brucey Bruce. His daughter and D'Onofrio, Kingpin himself, just not Kingpin yet, all having dinner. And he asks her, as the loving uncle A is, like, how she's doing. And she says this line right here. I just have to learn how to do basic things again. Now, not directly a terrible line to say in the moment, right? She says that, but then literally a scene later, within the same night after they've had dinner, because we established that he left afterwards, she's doing basic things already. <laughs> she's not learning how to do them. She's literally doing them. She's walking around. She's shutting doors. She helps Bruce Willis move a piece of furniture to hide. <laughs> she also, she says she's taking like online classes. Like your cognitive functions are probably fine if you're taking college level online courses. Yeah. So it, it's a line that in the moment is not bad. But then if you really look at like what she does after, what she's already doing, you're like, no, that's a terrible line. You're already, you, you can do basic things, right? What are you talking about? Yeah, that's a good call. <laughs> it, it almost escaped. And then when I started doing all her shit, I was like, no, you're not, you're not learning. You're, you're doing basic things. Like, no, it, it, it looks like no one's ripening your ass. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think you're fine. Get out there, champ. Did she end up in the coma again? Because she wasn't shot. It's never really explained. They said something about her spine, but she never seems to have any spinal problems. Yeah, it's it's honestly it's flimsy at best. She trip and her plot armor knocked her out. Like what what happened? <laughs> it's it's just weird. It, it this is why these directors probably want to do a rewrite. I'm. Just going to throw that out there. <laughs> they probably went, well, okay, we need to rewrite that part because there's not a whole lot of explaining why she's in a coma. And then you have this fucking line, but her doing stuff afterwards. But Bruce, Bruce was like, no. Keep it. If you're a director on one of his films and you say the word rewrite three times, Bruce Willis will appear and fire your ass. It's in his contract. Did you hear about the Razzie thing where he got his own category this year? Because he literally started like eight shitty films in one year. Yeah. And then oh. someone did like the, the total screen time on each movie was like 15 minutes. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Is he even an actor anymore? He's a glorified extra at this point. Yeah. Jesus He's, you're paying like $15 million for set dressing. Oh my God! God, his five daughters daughters have more talent, and I didn't even think Rumor Realist was that great. And what I've seen her in, um, oh, which leads me to my next 
award, and I feel like this is going to be a perfect segue for you because I got a feeling I you put, I know I went out of the box for mine, I'll explain why. Um, the Steven Seagal reverse performance. It's Bruce. Of course, it's Bruce. Yeah, I knew. <laughs> That's why I said, I was like, this is going to be a nice segue because I know it's, I know who you picked. <laughs> He's the he's a terrible presence. I don't buy it. He never he always has this like vaguely constipated look on his face. <laughs> like he just he had some bad shrimp, but he doesn't want to yell cut because that means extra work for him. It's just I, anyway, yeah, he's yeah. You know what's funny? I, what? When I watched like the lone actual behind the scene bonus feature on my Blu-ray, so I like to do that for this stuff if I own the movie, which you could think for a show beyond the bad, I don't, I, I don't know a lot of films, so. Um, um, he's on that. He actually does talk about the film, but obviously it's Eli Roth. And Eli Roth sounds generally excited and like, hey, this is what I did to make this different and why I added this. Like, he is engaged. Willis just kind of sits and goes like, yeah, I read the script and it was pretty good and you know, I wanted to be in. I'm like, oh my god! Even in the bonus features, it looks like it hurts you to have to sit down and talk about the fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> you son of a bitch! I feel like in like 2005, Bruce Willis was abducted by aliens, and to make sure nobody noticed, they replaced him with as good of a lookalike as they could figure out. Because <laughs> like after Sin City, he's a different man. It's so weird. Even like the Die Hard franchise, man. Like I remember watching Live Fear. Die Hard would be like, like really engaged with his performance in that one. Like he seemed to really like being in there and like enjoyed playing the role. And then a good day to Die Hard, it looks like he fucking hates being in every second of that film. I'm like, what happened? I'm like, don't get me wrong. Like I think that's a terrible movie, but your performance could have helped, especially because this is your character, man. Yeah. A little, you know, a little care goes a long way towards endearing yourself with the audience. And in this film, I just don't buy a second of his grief, of his anger. I mean, there's a moment when he tracks down the guy and he's like, you know, you stole my shit. Oh, yeah. And you killed my wife. (laughs) Like he forgot for a second why he's doing this. (laughs) He forgot to read the script that day. (laughs) Oh, so yeah, it was. I knew it was always going to be Bruce. I feel like it's going to be Bruce a lot in the future of this show. <laughs> it will be. But with that said, I I went outside the box. I was like, we can't both say for sure because I was like, I did have him down. And I know now. Hear me out. I also had written down Dean Norris admits a D'Onofrio. <sighs> hear me out. I am ultimately going to go with Vincent D'Onofrio. I did. And that's because it just seems off. Like it, his characterization doesn't exactly work. Like it's very vague on what the fuck he did. Like why he's a fuck up, like all that's vague. And I just feel like he didn't have a lot to work with and it creates a slightly off performance. I think D'Onofrio does do his best for what he has. I just don't feel like he's on his A game in this. Like he is in other shit I've seen him in. I don't think this man's ever not been on his A game. But it does I, see after hearing about what you what you told me about the script and how for some reason it was Joe Carnahan's word was was ironclad here. Um, I would say it seems like D'Onofrio was supposed to be the bad guy. Like 
he's hard up for cash. He's a little resentful of his wealthy brother. Maybe he hired these guys to rob the house while they were gone. Shit got out of hand. They got killed. That's the that's where I thought this was going. Yeah. But that never happened. So it does feel weird that like the D'Onofrio red herring is just kind of there. Yeah. And then like the way he treats the cops, again, we don't have like the exact reason why he's even like the cops like that. And it just all it does is create more of a red herring. Like, why are you being such a dick to the cops? Like that doesn't help you look like you're not a fucking suspect, man. Um, so it's just like it's that's why I say like I, I get it. I'm not I, this is probably gonna be my weirdest pick, and since I like I really tried going outside of the box, because also why I had Dean Norris because I felt like his cop was weird. Like when um he should be con- like being a little more like um cool with Bruce Willis about what's going on and like sympathize. He says dumb shit like just gotta have faith. And shit like that. I'm like, it's not helping you. Like, so that's why I had them kind of listen. And I also went with Denofrio just because like the characterizations are so fucking weird on them. And they are trying. I'm not going to take that from them. It just, it didn't work for me. I can understand that. Mm. And I just, I, I just, I think the direction, like kind of tricking us with Denofrio was odd. Yeah. Especially because like, they want that, but they also want to go down and say of like he's a really like generally good uncle that loves his niece. And it's like, all right, you can't have both. Like, which one is it? Is he just like a really good uncle that's having hard times? See, or... I feel like you can do both. Because you well, can't like, have him like love them, but also, you know, fuck this up. Or a better script, you can do both. That's why I should say a better a rewritten script <laughs> probably could have done both. <laughs> Yeah, it's, I'll, I don't understand that. Carnahan's word was law. So, okay. Yeah. Um, and also, when we get to this next category, I'll see, I'll, I'll kind of show you why I also think, like, yes, they could have had both if they cut down a certain, a certain other thing that I don't think really worked, but we'll get into that here in a minute. Um, so, yeah, for me, I, I know kind of out of the box with Vincent D'Onofrio, purely because of trying with not very good material. Um, like I said, should have been rerun, worked out better. Um, with that said, uh, the Michael Bay first filmmaking decision. And initially, I did have the, the D'Onofrio red herring because I thought, like, why pull us in that direction if you're never going to make good on it? But the more the movie went on, the more I'm like, I can't get over this. They should not have cast Bruce Willis. <laughs> you're really going hard. Bruce Willis is 100% the worst decision they made in this film, especially looking at the list of way better names they had in, in mind, some of which I'm sure would have been cheaper. This is the guy they went with, and he he obliterates this thing. He doesn't give a fuck, which makes me not give a fuck. <laughs> and it's, it just collapses in on itself. And yeah, I think I think in with a better lead, we could have had a better movie. And even then, I don't I don't hate this. No, and, and like I said, like, this, I would say, is, a, like, dipping your toes into, like, bad realist films because he's done far worse films and performances than this. Like, even more, if, if you think he's boring in this, guys, oh, boy, you haven't seen anything yet. Um, <laughs> that was a lot of not giving a shit films he did. Um, but for me, something that kind of goes back to what we talked about during our production stuff, and that was trying to fit in social commentary on gun violence and uh, uh, 
America's Americans and the media fascination with gun violence because it to me slows the pacing down a lot throughout the film. It it's like it takes away from the main plot that I care about, which is him getting revenge on his family. Um, because around that we have to constantly have these cutaways to them talking about vigilantism and you know is that something we need need in america is it good is it bad we have that quick scene where that dude tries it and then gets killed and um you know the cops are you know having to deal with it and it's like there were times where i'm like you could have shaved like 20 30 ish minutes at a tight hour and a half film that just focused on bruce willis his family the inciting event and then him getting revenge it's just a lean down dirty film getting to the point of it without also throwing all this shit on that in hind- now in hindsight obviously because of how people react to the film and critics react to the film it's just weird to watch now because you see what Kirk's saying then you see what the film's trying to do it's like it's this weird fucking thing see, that didn't bother me that much because that is the entire point of the original film is gun violence in America like that's what Death Wish is built on so I think include, not including that would have been disingenuous well I think had they found a better way to include it without cutting away to those things so much, like ha- by making it more on that main plot, and and this is kind of goes back to what you're saying, getting a better actor, we could have seen the deterioration of that, of his character, and that would have been a, to me a better way to tackle the gun violence stance and like what can happen when you go down that route, what what happens to you as a human. But having to, I think for me it was that constant cutting away to the radio shows. And literally talking about it, or like that that fucking poacher scene where it's like they're almost fucking taking a hammer and hitting you on the head with it, like, yeah, see, look. And it's like, I guess what I'm trying to say is like find a more subtle way with it that also gets the main plot moving. I gotcha. Subtlety has gone out the window in, in film at some point in the past 10 years. I don't know when it happened, but we're unable to tell a hidden message anymore now it's like you know a movie like death wish where it's like hey you got to take care of your own in case you weren't listening now watch me shoot this deer in the face like (laughs) you need that like they need that or else people are going to think like they're not getting the message right they need a scene where they're coming to a radio host i think a real life chicago radio host going oh the what do you think about the vigilantism in america well it's it's a white guy doing things in black and it's like okay like cut all that shit out and just find a way to make it work within the main plot of the story. See that exact phrase in the original movie where they're talking at a party about like, you know, he only goes, like he goes after black people more. He's like, no, he's going after criminals more. It's not, doesn't like the race doesn't matter. Like but that you, comes you up. Right in the, there. Hmm? You said right there. It's in, it's part of the plot of the film where a party and it's again, it's story progressing or still having your point made. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. I agree. I think uh, a better actor could have conveyed those emotions a bit more, you know, seen him go from family man to vigilante instead of just Bruce Willis to Bruce Willis. Yeah. Cause I, I feel like because it, and I don't, I doubt it's because of Bruce Willis, but it's almost like because he wasn't showing the emotions, they put that shit in. So then the point could get across for people like, well, shit, he's not showing us. Let's fucking put this shit in. So people get it. <laughs> I love the idea that they can't tell Bruce Willis to act better, so they just create new shit for the movie to do his job. That makes perfect sense to me. I can't confirm that that happened, but I would believe you if you told me it happened. Yeah. 
So yeah, I guess I can kind of see that happening. But yeah, just to, I guess to clarify, I'm absolutely okay with, and this is a film by all means. And I, like I said, the original tackles it too. Well, yes, having that talk about gun violence and the media fascination, absolutely put in the film. And I totally get that. I would have just, I would have preferred personally, this is just me, me, and me, a more subtle approach where we had a better actor that would have helped show that through his character, through the story at hand, move the plot so it doesn't feel like it's dragging as much, maybe add some more villains because only hanging down like three in an almost two hour film <laughs> does kind of make it drag because um, you got to take out the setup of the family and all the search that they got to do to get you invested. Um, you know, Things like that, and then having like yeah, like you said, like seeing where there's a party, what characters that were following anyway, and they start having this discussion about like, oh, have you heard about this guy in the news? And blah blah blah, right? Things like that to still get your point across, but also get the movie, uh, the plot line moving along as well. Yeah, fair enough. Very yeah. good. So now that we've uh Given our awards, where Connor really went hard on Bruce Willis and probably won't be the first time. <laughs> um, let's do our silver lining, which I feel like I would say actually wasn't really that difficult for me um, in this because I, I I remember watching this going actually even before I watched it I was like because I had seen it once already. Um, me being my Roth fans, so I had already written mine down. But before I talk about mine, Connor, what was your silver lining? Uh, my silver lining is a hot take and it's probably oh, going to irritate some people. Oh boy. It does a lot of things better than the original movie. Uh, I think the story is better. I think the, um, the fact that he actually goes after the guys who attacked his family instead of just forgetting about them and not bothering with it is, is much better, a lot more satisfying. Um. I thought the attack sequence on the family was better in this one. You actually like, you, you feel something, you get to know them a bit more. In the original, it's just gross. It's just grisly and gross. They break into the house. They, they kick the shit out of the mom and they rape the daughter into cata- like being catatonic. Like it's vicious as fuck. Um, so in the, at least in this one, you know, they fight back and it, you get a little bit more uh, agency with them. Um, also, the, the cop, Dean Norris, I thought did a great job, uh, better than I, I thought than Vincent Gardenia, who played him in the original one, who just has a cold the whole time and doesn't really care about solving this. Um, so there's there's a lot. I think the soundtrack was pretty bitching. You know, ACDC's back in black. You can throw that in any movie and I'll be on board. Uh, I just felt that this movie had more to offer in terms of story. And I understand why people like the original Death Wish. Charles Bronson, you know, cool, I guess. He's, he's crazy, but he's cool. Very loyal following. Oh, yeah. Big time. My, uh, my grandma was a fan, apparently. So <laughs> Nice. Uh, yeah, I just think that uh, Eli Roth and Joe Carnahan had a better handle on the story they wanted to tell using this this film so that's my silver lining okay yeah no i i agree with you there and that like you know i've always really liked i, I feel like joe Carnes like super underappreciated yeah. um and a movie like this lends really well to his writing style and again like eli roth was able to bring a little bit of himself into this film 
and um, do what he could to make it his own. You know, he kind of came in late. He couldn't do anything about the script. Just for shows wanted to keep it. <laughs> but, you know, he, he was able to work with what he had to at least get a very competently made film that, to me, like I said, I don't think should be hated as much as it is. You can, you can tell these are guys that like the original film quite a bit and want to lend their, their voice to it and try to make it a film that works in a more modern time. Yeah, true. So uh, for me, and this one, I feel like you're probably going to go like, oh, of course, um, the gore and the carnage candy that is in this film. Um, you know, you we live in a time where it seems like so many series are so scared to do R-rated films. I mean, Jesus Christ. Deadpool had to be a success to prove that you could make an R-rated superhero film for Christ's sakes. Yeah. Like that's insane to me that they had to fucking prove that. Um, because if you, anyone doesn't know, like Ryan Reynolds had to fight to keep that rating. Like they were adamant he'd make it PG. He fought them hard. Um, so the fact that this was rated R, they stuck to their guns and they made it gory. They for as much car as you can. You see blood when people get shot. Love it. Like I said, the fucking car scene where you see the car fall on the dude's head. Yeah. Like, look, if you're going to make a film, any kind of revenge film, right? Like, rape revenge, this type of revenge. Like, if there's one thing I feel like you should always do is like show the motherfuckers that did this horrendous crime, whether it's kill someone, rape, whatever they fucking did, really get theirs in the most graphic way possible. That's always what I love about these films is seeing that part. And when they get the you know the revenge part and we see it in gory like I fucking love it. Um so I'm glad he stuck to his guns and did that, especially being Roth. Um, this is a guy that's made a name for himself with extreme gory like American horror films and seeing him be able by the studio to indulge and do it was awesome. Yeah, I had a feel you were going there. That we went this long without talking about a dude getting his skull crushed by a car. <laughs> we it was coming up. Oh, I was saving it. <laughs> he gets this skull crush after like Willis is like cutting off apparently like this nerve on his leg and then tells him like apparently the shit he's dumping on him is the most painful thing a human can take without passing out. And I'm like, I don't want to know how painful that is. If that's literally the one thing you can take right before you finally pass out from pain. Like, fuck that. Yeah, don't piss off a doctor because they can keep you alive. <laughs> do horrendous shit to you yeah uh yeah that was a good uh, a good call the originals gore is quite tame by today's standards but i guess in 74 this was an outrageous film uh you don't see much honestly yeah, uh, in 74 so well i mean last house on the left came out in 72 so i don't know if you can use that as an excuse <laughs> this is true too <laughs> Uh, so yeah, there's, there it is. If this were, if we were rating them, I would probably give this a seven. Yeah, I would actually concur and give this a seven. It's, like I said, it's, it's fine. It, like I said, for me, like the biggest thing is what I mentioned in the first film. That's actually really the biggest thing for me is like, had they found a better way to do that? And obviously an actor that could support my idea of how they should approach it would be the biggest thing helping, but Apparently, once you get Bruce Willis locked into a script he likes, you got Bruce Willis locked into a script he likes, and there's nothing that can change that. (laughs) 
Who would have thought the hot button issue with this guy would be rewrites? <laughs> but then again, this feels like the kind of guy who would quit the film if they didn't have his favorite kind of cheese at the craft services table. So when I when I was doing my research on this and I read that, I'd stopped. I was like, we really didn't get Carnahan able or not Carnahan, but those two directors left because Willis approved the script and MGM was like, no, we have to abide by what he approves. We cannot change a thing. <laughs> I wonder if this was the last time they tried. Was this like, well, I guess not glass was probably Willis's last high profile gig. Yeah, I'll say glass. Yeah. And that failed too. <laughs> I think they've given up on trying to, you know, use Bruce Willis as your, uh, your marketing tool. Yeah, audiences don't care to see a guy that's clearly bored in everything he does. Especially when you got James McAvoy delivering the performance of his career over there. Yeah. <laughs> James McAvoy is like, you want me to do even more personalities? Hold my beer. <laughs> do I, can I look at the script and rewrite accordingly? Done. <laughs> oh. Yeah. What if he said that in front of Bruce Willis and then just looked at him like a smirk? How much do I want? Four million for four days' work. (laughs) How much do you want, Bruce? (laughs) Yeah, Bruce. What would you like? And then they ask, do you like the script? He's like, yes, but am I, are we able to do rewrites? Yeah, of course. Interesting. What do you think? Bruce. <laughs> oh God. Uh, I don't want to say he's a joke, but he's at least a riddle. <laughs> on that on that note, let's uh let's go to our next segment and find out what's in the box. What's in the fucking box? Uh, this is the almost the most well-reviewed film we've covered yet. Uh, Showgirl still holds that record somehow. Uh, 2.6 out of 5 stars. So, terrible, but not as terrible as I expected to see. I have five hilarious letterbox reviews here. I'll say again, 71%, but no one saw it in theaters. <laughs> um, Fred, oh, I really like Tread and what so it's like tread over again, but I actually really wanted a sequel to that. So fuck all you guys. Go on. <laughs> I understand. Uh, number one, this is from Barris. Meh. Three stars. That's it. Meh. <laughs> he, he took the time. Yeah, he took time out of his day, out of our day, to type this, post it. Was it worth it? It's almost like the movie itself. He was like, good enough. <laughs> Number two. This is from Nas Bacon Sandwich. Some of these I do pick just for the name. Watching Bruce Willis look up how to shoot a gun on YouTube, then killing people, isn't that different to how I looked up how to repair my PS4 on YouTube, then sold it to my brother. One star. <laughs> <laughs> I 
that? I was like, where's this going? I, I fixed my PS4 and sold it to my brother. <laughs> oh, you're a nicer brother than I. I always sold my brother a fucking broken PS4. i mean, like, hey, you gotta fix it, dude. Uh, this is from Seth's Films. I think I put on the wrong version of Home Alone. One star. <laughs> <laughs> That's so weird that he put okay. <laughs> That's something I would expect to see on a movie like Better Watch Out. Oh yeah. I haven't seen that, but uh, I know about that one. Uh it's a pretty good movie. I liked it. Um, this is from somebody I forgot to write down. I remember a kill with a car and Bruce Willis not giving a shit. That's all I remember. Two stars. <laughs> I don't think any phrase has better described this film. <laughs> Guy gets killed with a car. Bruce Willis doesn't give a shit. There you go. Death wish. <laughs> Got it. Which, by the way, that guy could have moved in time. Bruce Willis took a long time to get ready to take the car down. It reminded me of that scene in Austin Powers where the guy's about to get hit by the steamroller and he's just screaming at it from like a room away. <laughs> oh. um, and this last one is my personal favorite from Widow Widoria. I called Bruce Willis a baldy and my mom got really pissed. Three and a half stars. <laughs> There's so much story to that. I need to know. <laughs> yeah. Bruce still has fans out there. Legions, apparently. It's the people that really hold on to um, Die Hard, I think. Yeah. They should check out Death Wish. Uh, well, that is all for what's in the box. It's a good one. I like how they wrote just short story. I think there's a car. You're supposed to see give shit. So I, I think that was one of my favorite. <laughs> I find the, the shorter ones are the funnier ones. When people go on a diatribe for like three pages, I don't want to read it. <laughs> yeah. There's a certain, like, you can go long, but there's a certain point where it loses funniness. Yeah, I agree. So, all right. Well, this, this has been a fun, fun episode of inducting Bruce Willis into his first of all five mini films in this episode, in this show. You damn right. It's going to pop up a lot. Um, but before I reveal what next week's episode is, social media. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under Filmgasm Productions. If you would like to shoot us a recommendation, Feel free to email us, email us at filmgasm.gmail.com. Can't promise I'll put those recommendations on immediately, but I will see what I can do with the schedule at hand. Um, if you'd like to donate in any way, you don't have to, but if you want to, and support, uh, you can find us on Anchor. Also, finally, also finally, feel free to get on our website. All you want, filmgasm.com. You can check out reviews, trailers, articles, and all of our episodes upload on there. Um, I know this past weekend we've uploaded quite a bit of reviews. I know myself, I was catching up with some horror films I've been meaning to see, um, and they found the way, the reviews found the way to the site. Um, most good, couple of duds, but most good. Um, uh, that's our way. Let's talk about what's coming up for our show next week. We are going to discuss the beginning of the end for many of Batman fans. <laughs> 
until you know Batman Begins came out. But what was the beginning for them? And that would be Batman Forever. Val Kilmer is making his long-awaited return to <laughs> Beyond the Bat. <laughs> this time he's a star. <laughs> this only, is the way he likes it. It only took what three episodes <laughs> for Val Kilmer to show up again. <laughs> crushing it val i'm proud of you (laughs) (laughs) oh can't wait to get back into this monster's head uh yeah uh, it's gonna be batman all all four shows next week so buckle up buckle up buckaroos (laughs) uh on filmgasm like you were saying they will be talking about the one that started it all. That time fans were happy. Uh, and that is Michael Keane's Batman. I won't say 1989, but I actually not looked the year up, so that's well, correct. Yes. Okay, 1989's Batman. Michael Keane, the, the one that started it all for a lot of people, myself included, and the, the Batman we're getting back uh, this year or so. In two films, actually, which I was surprised to hear, but bring it on. Um... On this Oscar Sunday, I know we just said Batman week, but this Oscar Sunday coming up, they are going. We'll be talking about, or sorry, I won't be talking about it, but Connor and Austin will be talking about the Spike Lee classic "Do the Right Thing." So you know, join them for that. And then finally, on sneak preview, we'll be talking about a horror film I never thought I'd talk about in my life, starring the Free Fighters <laughs> Studio. 666. I don't mean that in a negative way, but had you told me at one point in my life there'd be a Foo Fighters horror film, I would have laughed in your fucking face. Especially if all that it was, it's directed by the guy that did Hatchet 3. I'd be like, okay, what the fuck's going on here? <laughs> yeah, this is uh, unexpected. You know, there's not a lot of rock band, you know, horror movies with an actual rock band. So this ought to be uh, something unique and maybe start a trend if this is successful. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? I definitely did not was not expecting this. Um, but it's not the only film coming out. Uh, obviously, there's the another Shredder release that I'll be discussing called Hellbenders. And then on Hulu, their horror film, No Exit, which we've talked about. Looks pretty interesting. I'm definitely going to check it out because um, I'm interested to see what they're going to do with that. Um, but that's what's happening uh, over the next week on our shows. With that said, until then, if you find yourself in a scenario where your house is broken into and your loved ones are killed, first off, I'm sorry to hear that happen to you. Second off, just have faith. The police will do their job. Yeah. And don't hire Excuse Bruce Willis. Yeah, he, he won't care. Um, he, won't, he, he won't demand a rewrite of the script because he'll be locked in. Um, see y'all next week on Beyond the Bed. Thank you.